So let's. Uh, so if you guys have your Bibles, we're going to be in Second Corinthians five, um, and as we kind of flesh out a little bit where we're going to be today, um, I know in community groups this week there was a little bit of a struggle through trying to figure out where in the world I was actually going to be going this morning, um, and even though even just ours, okay, Thursday, Blake had this thing figured out. Um, but as we think about marriage and the resurrection, um, I want us to, to frame it a little bit differently in thinking about marriage in the light of eternity. Um, so not necessarily looking specifically at the resurrection, but marriage in the light of eternity and what that means for us today. Um, so if you guys have your Bibles, we're going to start out in 2 Corinthians 5. I'm going to read through the entire chapter, and then we'll kind of unpack as we go. And do you, do you guys have it? Okay, we're good. So, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal might be swallowed up in life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we, at ho we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and it, I hope it is also known to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who, might, who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconcil reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. God, um, ooh, thanks for this morning. Um, thanks for your mercies that are new every day. Um, thanks for Paul and 2 Corinthians 5. Um, I pray as we begin to look at this um, that we see what it means for the way that we live um, and interact both in marriage and in every relationship that we have. Um, that we see our relationships and our marriages and our kids and our families in the light of eternity, not in the temporal. Thanks for this morning. Thanks for Jesus who gave himself for us so that we might live. 
In his name we pray. Amen. All right, so as we get going this morning, I want to bring you guys first to this, if you guys could bring that screen up, and I want to frame out where we're going in terms of what the gospel actually means. What are the implications of the gospel? So I don't know if you guys have ever seen this. This is from a book called The Big Idea. I read it years ago. Um, But what I want us to see this morning is that the gospel inherently has both vertical and horizontal implications. Right, so if we look at this and we see the trajectory of the, the, the whole of Scripture, right, and we see how Scripture all pulls together, we see here in the beginning we are designed for good, right? You guys can see this. And so the inner circles, we have obviously Adam and Eve in creation, right? Here we have their relationship with God, right? And here we have their relationship with the outside, with creation, with the world, right? As we look at creation, we see that Adam and Eve both did not toil in their work, right? And they they walked with God and they walked with each other, right? They were naked and unashamed. And that's how we're created, right? And then we see the fall happen. We see sin happen. We see sin enter the world and we see the destruction that it causes in every area of their lives, right? So we can see, obviously, that their ability to walk with God was destroyed, that they could no longer walk with him and ultimately ended up getting banished from the garden, right? We see how now in their toil, they produce fruit, right? There's pain in childbearing, there's toil in Adam's work, right? And we see immediately after the fall that the blame game starts to happen. And so their relationship is fractured, right? And so as we think about this idea of sin, we see the reality that sin fractures every single area of our lives, right? It's not just horizontal anymore, it's vertical, right? And then as we keep going and we get to the cross, we see what does the cross do to our relationship with God, right? That circle is no longer marred, right? It also brings together our relationship with each other, right? Because of Christ, we can now walk in fullness of relationship, right? Because he redeemed and rectified and restored and reconciled, as we have in 2 Corinthians 5, the relationship that we have with each other. But yet we still look outward and we see a broken and dying world, right? We see sin that has marred every aspect of the world around us, right? And then we get to the fourth circle here, and it says we are sent together to heal, Right, that we, as believers, are sent into a broken and dying world because we see the ramifications of sin, right? and now we have this message of reconciliation, and we are sent out to a broken and dying world with the hope of the gospel. Right? So as we think this morning and as we pull into marriage in the light of eternity, I want us to think from this standpoint. Because often when we think individually about the gospel, we think about the ramifications of us with God. Right? We think that, that the gospel does reconcile us with God, which it does, but we fail to see the ramifications of how that reconciles us with each other. Right? And ultimately, in the most intimate relationship we have that we're looking at today, it reconciles us with our spouse or reconciles us with our family or reconciles us with our kids right? because the gospel has implications for day in and day out living. So that's our framework that we're going to work off of this morning. Um, so as we were getting going, I wanted to tell you guys a little bit about my grandfather. Um, so my grandfather, Frank Matthews, do you guys remember Frank? Yeah. Colorado grandpa, great grandpa. Briefly. Okay. So Frank Matthews passed away this past year at 96. Okay. One of the most interesting men I've ever been around. Okay. Uh, genius. He was like a Mensa level genius. He was a physicist. So he taught at the Colorado school of mines. 
Um, he was in the Royal Navy. He was British in World War II. Um, the amount of things he climbed volcanoes for physics projects, like that's what he did. Um, and he was also kind of one of those Albert Einstein-y kind of really smart people that would wear like one black shoe and one brown shoe and go to the lab and forget he'd been there for two days. Right, that, that was him. Um, but I remember growing up, we would always go to Colorado over the summers and just spend time with him. And I remember sitting in this TV room he had at his house that he built with his hands like eons ago up in the mountains of Colorado. And I remember sitting with him as he would tell me stories about just life and, and some stuff that I didn't understand whatsoever. Like one time he tried to mathematically prove to me the Genesis account, and I had no idea what the man was talking about. Um, but one thing I always noticed was his deep love for his wife and his family, um, that everything in him was about them. And so about 10 years ago, my grandmother passed away. She had horrible dementia. Um, and because my grandfather was a scientist, they had willed her body and her mind to science, right? There was an error with the funeral home, and they ended up cremating my grandmother, um, which just broke my grandfather. Um, and so when you walked into his house in Colorado, my grandmother's ashes were still right inside of the door of his front door for 10 years because he couldn't bring himself to move her. And as we'd sit in that TV room and we'd talk, he would look expectantly at this hope of, of reunification with my grandmother, right? That I'm going to see her again someday. And he would just constantly talk to this. And I saw this man that for 50 plus years of his life passionately loved his family because he had a hope in eternity. And I think even as we finished up this song this morning, you give and take away, you give and take away, but blessed be your name. The reality is that perspective is given to us because of our perspective in eternity. We can't say you give and take away, you give and take away, and you're good if I'm only focused on the present. So now as we move ourselves into 2 Corinthians 5, we're going to start to look at marriage and the reality of longing for our heavenly home. So at the end of chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, Paul ends by saying, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. As Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, he's writing into a culture that's honestly very similar to our own, right? It's a culture of immorality, right, of, of every different kind that we don't necessarily need to dive into here, but it's a culture of instant gratification, right? It's a culture where they are in the midst of in a reality where they get exactly what they want in the moment, right? And Paul's writing to them in this situation imploring them to live differently because even though they're groaning in the moment, they're looking at the hope of what they have coming, right? And so as he challenges them to live faithfully, to fight diligently, and to see life as something that's not easy because it was never meant to be easy. So as Paul continues to lay this out, we see, we see though I lost my place, we see that Paul is pulling the Corinthian church away from a view of the temporary and saying, even though this is hard, you're living in the midst of persecution, right? Even though people heap insults on you, even though your flesh is daily waging war against you, even though you're discouraged, tired, afflicted, and whatnot, don't lose heart because the things that are unseen are eternal. 
And as we think about this, pulling it to our relationships and the, and the most intimate one in marriage, is that we often live in an instant gratification type reality inside of our marriage. We have this expectation on our spouses to meet our needs because we think that that's what they're there for. And the reality is they're not, right? And often in our relationships, both maritally and otherwise, we get discouraged because when those needs aren't met, quote unquote, and things get hard, we go internally instead of looking expectantly at a future reality, right? And the reality is we aren't called to easiness. You've never been called to easiness. Marriage was never meant to be simple, right? Any relationship you have in life was never meant to be simple. But when we can start to have a perspective change and we can see the implications of the cross and what that means to our relationships, it shifts our perspective. Because I'm now no longer looking at you to meet my needs. I'm looking at how can I run passionately after Jesus so we're both on the same trajectory doing this together, right? And as it comes to marriage, we struggle, we fight, we fail to see each other well, we fall, we fail to love each other well, and our sin is no longer just an offense to God, but it's an offense to each other, right? So back to 2 Corinthians 5, 6, and 7, he says, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Any of you guys ever read the book Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas? Okay. So this is probably the best marriage book I've ever read in my life. We read it in premarital counseling years ago, um, and I've probably read it four or five more times since then. And so as I was, I was thinking through this idea, I think Gary does an excellent job kind of painting a picture of marriage that goes beyond kind of the way culture tells us marriage is supposed to work. So he says, the key question is this. Uh, I, don't, I think it's probably on a slide, but I'll just read it to you. The key question is this. Will we approach marriage from a God-centered view or a man-centered view? In a man-centered view, we will maintain that our marriage, as long as our earthly comforts, desires, and expectations are met. In a God-centered view, we preserve our marriage because it brings glory to God and points a sinful world to a reconciling creator. The whole premise of Gary's book is that marriage was never meant to make you happy. Marriage was meant to make you holy. And that's what Paul's bringing the Corinthian church to, not specifically in the context of marriage, but we can draw those implications, right? That the church as a whole, the reason that they're doing this together is not to make each other happy. If they wanted to make themselves happy, they'd run after everything else that the culture is running after because the instant gratification is there and they can get it. If they want to be holy, then they have to flip their perspective. And that same thing comes internally within our own homes. That Abby does not exist to make me happy. Abby exists to make me holy. And God has faithfully placed her with me to push me to that end and vice versa. And I think I might have said this a couple weeks ago, but one of the things that we've talked through a lot is the reality that she is my perfect provision. Right? God has uniquely created her to walk with me and fill the void of the things that I'm terrible at. And for each one of you, if we trust that God in his sovereignty has placed you into your marriage, God has uniquely designed the person that you're with to be your perfect provision, right? To be for you what you cannot be for yourself. Because in this reality, God has faithfully given that to you. So now as we move on, we see marriage in the ministry of reconciliation. And, and this is one of my favorite themes that we have through scripture. But going back to 2 Corinthians 5, I'm going to read to you again 16 to 21. 
From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Just like we talked about a couple weeks ago, right? Everything that we see as we think about this reality of horizontal and vertical implications, I did the opposite movements for the words I just said, of horizontal and vertical implications of scripture, right? Everything that Paul brings us to is missional, right? Even inside of this, every picture that he paints, everything we see through scripture is ultimately meant to lead us somewhere, right? James tells us not to just be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word, right? And what Paul is bringing them to is as he paints this picture of this eternal reality, he's not saying this is just reality, now sit in it. What he's saying is now you have work to do, Right? And I think so often when we think about the gospel, and one of the reasons I like the, the diagram that I put up for you guys earlier, is we think about the gospel selfishly. We think that God exists to serve me, to move me from life to death, and that's why Jesus came. Right? But the reality is he didn't move you from life to death to just sit there and wait to die. Right? He moved you from life to death because you're engaged missionally with a purpose. And what Paul tells us is that that purpose is reconciliation. But because of the vantage point of eternity... And because of the work that Christ did, now we are called into that ministry to be the hands and feet of Christ and to bring to a broken and dying world the reality of the reconciliation. But the challenge for us is I think so often we see this as an external, but we don't see our ministry of reconciliation as something that we should be doing internally within our homes. Right? The ministry of reconciliation means my call is to, oh, my call is to out-reconcile Abby. Right? As we're broken, my call as a husband is to run towards this ministry of reconciliation, even though we have something going on internally within us that's fractured. Right? Because if I believe that the gospel is true, then I believe that that implication comes and means that we can be reconciled in the moment. Right? But how often, if we, if we truly look at our own lives and we truly look at our own marriages, do we run away from that? How often do we run away from, run away from reconciliation instead of running hard towards it? Because the reality of running hard towards reconciliation means that you're going to have hard conversations, right? It's not going to be easy, but it's what you're called to. And I love what Paul tells us here, that we are ambassadors for Christ, right? And as we think, I remember, and I might have shared this story with you guys in the past, I'm not sure, but I remember when we lived in the Dominican Republic, right? One thing that I always found was comical is that everyone in the Dominican Republic, because they would look at us as being American, thought that all Americans looked exactly, like, thought exactly the same, right? And that we all either came from New York or Boston. Like, those were the only two cities, apparently, that exist in the United States of America. But I remember in 2016, the embassy of the U.S. in the Dominican Republic lit up the embassy in rainbow colors, right? And the DR, being in Latin America, is a fairly culturally conservative place. Right? And so the amount of people that would come to me and ask, is this how all Americans look at this? Right? Do all Americans think this way? Right? It was a consistent question that was coming to me. 
Because the reality is, in, even a little bit inside of that moment, I was speaking on behalf of my country. Right? In the same way an ambassador, right? the only reason an ambassador exists is to speak on behalf of his country. Right? He is in that place as a physical representation of an entire nation. And what God's telling us here, what Paul's telling us here in 2 Corinthians 5 is that you are that. Right? You are an ambassador. You are speaking on behalf of a kingdom. Right? You are a physical representation of a kingdom that has not fully come and is coming. Right? But now we have to look internally and we have to say, what am I being an ambassador of? As my, and, and you, you talk to my kids, right? So many times I'm an ambassador to something other than the king of the universe. Because what they see or what they hear is the opposite. Right? And, we, and we have to look internally at this in, in the nature of all of our relationships and saying, what am I representing? Right? As I think about the fact that I've been charged with this ministry of reconciliation and I've been given this authority right, to speak on behalf of the kingdom, what kingdom am I representing? And I think as we look inside of our own homes especially, the reality for our children, for those of us that do have kids, is their first view of God, the way that they view God, is through us. Right? And I was reading a study recently just on the reality of what kinds of dads kids grow up with and the implications that those have on the way that they view God. Right? If my dad was, was harsh towards me, then I view God as harsh. Right? If my dad was loving, then I view God as compassionate. Right? And so often we, we get these pictures of what God's like through the earthly representation that we've been given. And so then the challenge back to us, and this is not just in parenting and marriage, this is in every area of life, is to say, what are we representing? As we speak, what are we speaking? Right? As we act, what are we acting? Because what Paul is telling us is this horizontal and vertical, the reality of what we've been given is that it has to impact everything we do. It has to impact every conversation we have. Because if it doesn't, then do we truly believe it? Because we're not looking at the eternal. We're looking at the temporal. So this week, as we go into this next Sunday, we get to go into Christmas. And, and whereas we're not going to gather here together, I want to kind of throw a challenge at, at us to say, what, what does it look like for this reality to be present in family worship this upcoming Sunday? Right? As we're not going to gather together as a family, what, or as a, as a church family, what does it look like for us to see this play out in our homes? And not just this next Sunday, obviously, because it's Christmas, but in general. How are, how are we fleshing this out at home with our kids? How are we fleshing this out inside of our marriages? How are we running hard after reconciliation and being an ambassador when things might feel broken? Right? And marriage is so beautiful because marriage is the closest relationship we have and therefore the most difficult relationship we have and also the most broken relationship we have. And so if that's true, this is a great testing ground to say, how am I doing with this? because it's going to be the most difficult, but it's also going to bear the most fruit. So, now marriage in the light of eternity. Right? There was a whole different area that I was going to go, but I'm just going to nix that part. Um, so I just want us to walk away. What? Are you laughing at me? Okay. But I want us to walk away with a couple things. Right? So here's, here's where we're going to land today. So, three sentences that I just want to flesh out for us. Okay? Number one, sin broke your relationships both yours with each other, yours with God. Look to eternity. While everything is fighting against us in the moment, we look to eternity to dictate the present. 
and I hope as, as we walk out of here that we just go with a little perspective change that says the offense that I might feel with my spouse today is not what I'm going to base our entire relationship on, right? It's momentary. It's temporal, right? The difficulty, the affliction that I feel today, even though it might be physical, right? Sickness and, and broken bodies and all these different kinds of things, like Paul is telling us, it's, it's just temporal. It's not for forever, right? But when we keep our eyes fixed on eternity, then it puts the temporal in perspective. And as we look at Paul, and if you guys have ever read about Paul's life, you can tell there's a lot of stuff that didn't go Paul's way, right? Shipwrecked and in jail and yada, yada, yada. But the reason that he was faithful in the midst of that is because he had his eyes fixed on eternity. Number two, and I lost my place again. You are a minister of reconciliation, an ambassador for a coming kingdom, and that starts in your home. Challenges we walk out today is what are we representing to our spouses and to our kids, right? Are we being ambassadors for the kingdom of God or are we being ambassadors for the kingdom of death? Because every word we speak is either going to fit into one of those two categories. And so as we get to the end of our day and we lay our heads on the pillow at night, I hope that we can do a little recount of what my day looked like and maybe stack it up and say, where am I fitting, right? What am I speaking to and what needs to change? And finally, marriage is created for the present, but you were created for eternity, right? We don't know what marriage is going to look like the other side of eternity. And this is where I was going to dive into, but I'm not. But what we do know is that Jesus tells us that we will not be given in marriage, right? There will be no new marriages the other side of eternity, right? We don't know if the marriage that we're in right now is still going to exist in some form or fashion. We're not entirely sure. But what we do know is in the other side of eternity, it's probably not going to matter that much because we have Jesus. Because everything that we're looking towards and the king that we're running after, we're going to have him in his fullness. And so, so often for us inside of marriage, we, as we, like I said earlier, as we look to our spouses to, to fulfill the holes that we have in our own lives, right? What I, we need to do as spouses is to push each other to run hard after Jesus because he's who we're going to get. And if we don't want him in the, in the present, why are we going to want him in eternity? And so our job as believers and as husbands and wives is to push each other hard towards that. Say, Jesus is enough. Jesus is all we get and Jesus is all we want. And that's what we're running after. All right, let's pray. God, thanks for, ooh, that got loud. Um, thanks for marriage. Thanks for Paul. Um, th thanks for 2 Corinthians 5. Um, and thanks for uh, the hope that we have in eternity, that even though we toil and we're afflicted and things are difficult in the moment, um, that we know that, that hope is coming because of the resurrection. Um, because you beat death, now we get to look to an eternity separated from death. God, I pray as, as, as you've given us this task to be ambassadors and to be ministers of reconciliation, I pray that we out-reconcile our spouses. And that if we do have relationships outside of marriage that are broken right now, that we run towards reconciliation because it's the call that you've given us. And I pray that we analyze daily on behalf of what kingdom am I representing. God, thanks for your son. Thanks for life. Thanks for hope. Thanks for the cross. Thanks for the empty tomb. Um, and thanks for the hope that you're going to come back. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.